Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a chilling episode. All about that weather that's frightful. Snow. So, join us by the fire as we recount the tales of vampires in the great snowy north. A killer snowman who came to life one night. And an abominable snowman of the Himalayas. Throw in a tale of fearsome Finnish Father Christmas, and you've got the making of episode 80 of Boys and Ghouls. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. You're undead. So you ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation life! I don't have to know. You don't have to know? You wanna, yeah, why don't want, hey, uh, professional podcaster, why don't you get rid of your keys? Jeez Louise, <laughs> keys in my pocket, just jangling? What, you got any Tic Tacs in there while you're at it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to unwrap a, a... A lozenge? Yeah. Well, you've got a throat drop in. Let me uh, dazzle you with what I got up to at Thanksgiving. I'm it, ready. It counts as Spooky Gap. Okay. Which is, I made a killer shrew, which is... A concoction from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, not that well versed in Mystery Science Theater 3000. I know I watched it growing up, but I just haven't. Wa- I haven't watched a ton. Well, from not when they're watching the movie, but one of their sketches in between mm-hmm. the movie Killer Shrews, they make believe that they're like in a like a bar. It, it always felt like a, I describe it to people as like they're in a hotel bar, and I can't say why. <laughs> That's just the feeling I get. Which is also kind of like a thing of the past. I feel that like hanging in hotel bars, it feels very 70s. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways. I feel like I need to see this now. Because at one point he goes like, aren't the people around here phony? (laughs) Just as as a bit of like side conversation while the drink is being mixed. And the drink made to their specifications of a killer shrew. And I was told that they were borrowing some bits from the original Nutty Professor. That once um, Jerry Lewis becomes the smooth version of himself, he like goes to a bar and orders this really complicated drink and uses a lot of these cadences like, ah, just mix the drink, barkeep. <laughs> so here's what goes into a killer shrew, okay. which I was gifted these ingredients for my birthday back in June. And then for Thanksgiving, because when better, one, yeah. I did this, I guess, a day after they announced that Mystery Science Theater was being dropped from Netflix. Mm. Drag. Um, two, Turkey Day, not just for Mystery Science Theater, is a big day traditionally for horror hosts. People are sitting around. People are sitting around. Digesting. Yeah, and <sighs> somewhere along the line, turkey being a, a term for a bad film. Mm-hmm. And the horror hosts. What was great about the best of them is how much they would admit that their movies weren't that good. I feel like probably on another Thanksgiving, Boys and Ghouls, you probably brought up the whole turkey thing. I did. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about that. 
Sorry, it's been like 80 episodes. It's been about 80. I, yeah, I, exactly I'm 80. Remembering. So, in order from the sketch, chocolate ice cream, Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries, Peanut M&M's, Mrs. Butterworth. Whoa. Circus Peanuts. Gross. Mr. Pib. Now known as Pib Extra. They changed the formula a little. Marshmallow Peeps. Lots of Marshmallow Peeps. And I was having a, like a friend read these off to me. Like a few people were like sort of saying them at the same time. Did you make them say it in that voice? Well, I just played the sketch Got for it. them so they had context okay. for, for what was happening. <laughs> uh-huh. And not everyone there like knew me either. It was my place, but like you know, there was other people who didn't know me. So like their introduction to me was like, everybody. This was either their look favorite at me. or least favorite Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> yeah. If anybody wants this gross concoction that I saw on television. Um, since I was a teenager, I've been wondering what does a killer shrew taste like? When Okay, so peeps, sweet tarts, vanilla frosting, good and plenty. Then you pour it into a plastic tulip glass and garnish with a... It says a, a wind-up shrew. We used a plastic rat. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they really had a shrew either. Yeah. Joel tasted it like just a little bit off a straw and then jumped backwards. It was so sweet. Oh. And then TV's Frank just started dancing as a reaction to all the sugar. And it was pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Little chunky. Oh, this all goes in a blender, and then you, you, like, you pour Ooh. it out. So it all blends. I just got a shiver down my spine thinking about how sweet that is. It looks brown. Oh. Tastes a little of marzipan. Uh-huh. Does the Mrs. Butterworths come through at all, or is there too much else noise? Good. I didn't add that much. Uh-huh. I added a lot of peeps because they go lots. I actually got took it. some out. I put in some money. Yeah. And just because it's spooky, Gab, I should mention those were the Halloween brand. Oh, wow. Because that's what came between like when I got the list and most of my ingredients. And when I actually did it, um, Halloween happened and I could get some Halloween peeps of like Frankensteins and pumpkins. So. Wow. This counts as spooky, Gab. No, it does. Um, because I do of, need to ask yeah. you, what's the movie about? I don't know that oh, movie. Um, Is it a horror movie? Kind of. I th- yeah, it's a horror movie. It's like your mix of like scientists and boat captains, you know, how they all wind up on an island like together. Uh-huh. And I'm sure a few ladies in there. And uh, we've been breeding the shrews or like feeding them chemicals they get giant they get giant oh boy so a shrew on its own will like eat so many times its own weight every day oh but now that they're the size of uh dogs in costumes (laughs) they're very dangerous yeah terrifying and very silly um so it's it's a classic it's not a classic movie but it is a classic episode of mystery science theater i have to wonder if any other human being has ever made this drink it's quite possible you're the only human being on Earth who's ever actually made that. Since in Minnesota, yeah. that, that's where they filmed Mystery Science Theater 3000. Wow. I bet the puppeteers and everyone on, on crew like probably passed it around, daring each other yeah. to drink more than a few sips, which is kind of what happened with us. Oof. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have tried it if I'd been there. Absolutely. But uh, just, just a spoon. The color was pretty uninviting. Yeah, I bet. Ew, I commend you. That's disgusting. <laughs> Thank you. Snow, 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 snow. It won't be long before we'll all be there with snow. Snow, snow. I want to wash my hands, my face, and hair with snow. Cat. Yes. Snow. Snow, 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 snow. It won't be long before we'll all be there with snow. 
Implausibly wanna wash my hair with snow. <laughs> what is Christmas with no snow? You'll play the clip. I don't need to keep singing. Probably, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of songs about snow. Mm. So uh, I guess that one will go somewhere around here. Snowball throwing, that's what I'll do. How I'm longing to ski through the snow. You probably grew up with a lot more snowy days than I did. Yes, I think that's fair to say. I think I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up outside Philadelphia. Yeah, and we would have a, maybe a snow or two a year, but they would never stick around for longer than a couple days. Um, okay. Other than the very rare, more blizzard-like situation. So I feel like you're much more the expert on snow. Well, when you're younger, the snowfalls seem bigger. Mm-hmm. I know I had a blizzard in 95 when I was, like, fully grown. Mm-hmm. But what feels like the biggest snow I was much younger for, but that could have just been because I was younger. Also, when I was around four is when Empire Strikes Back came out. And that's a good play in the snow age. And when you've got Star Wars in the snow... Man, what could be better? <laughs> From atop a shaggy tauntaun, Commander Luke Skywalker surveyed the snowy landscape. Everything's AT-ATs and Hoth yeah. and Wampas, and it's really great. You just In your front yard, it's mm-hmm. basically the same as being in Star Wars. And when you're a kid, yeah. snow is so exciting. Yes. And your parents are like... Changes everything. Annoyed. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, at least that was what I remember They, they can up. agree it looks pretty, but they've got to drive in it. Exactly. They've got to drive in it, get to work. I'm going to miss school. they got to figure out what to do. You know, it's just a hassle. Whereas when I'm a kid, I remember sitting and watching the local news to see if and when classes were going to get canceled. Ours came in over the radio. Mm. They would just read numbers. Wow. And oh, so disheartening when they would like go in sequence and then skip your number. <laughs> Yeah, ours were alphabetical like, by um, put your boots county on. or like school district. They don't do it anymore. It's all on the internet now. Mm. It's a marshmallow world in the winter when the snow comes to cover the ground. It's time for play. Then in your teenage years, I feel you have a greater relationship with snow because you reach an age where you can leave the house and go to other people's homes and like, you know. Sure. Hang out, mm-hmm. crash. You don't sleep over anymore. At this point, you're just crashing. Uh, Can I crash at Steve's? It was always a sleepover for me. I think that's a guy-girl thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, see our episode about sleepovers for, <laughs> for a little more on that. But it's like, well, I'm not driving in it, so you can walk. It's like, fine, I'm walking. So we would just like walk miles in between each other's homes wow. in snow. So you're just out in it a lot more in your teenage years. The world is your snowball just for a song. Get out. Uh, but on one of those treks, a very, very memorable snow moment for me was um, a snowment. A snowment <laughs> was you know I had to get to my buddy's place because other people were there, and who knows what kind of fun they'd have without me. So let's walk through the snow. But here came three snowplows, spraying brown slushy Ooh, no. snow, and there's nowhere to go. Oh. So I ran towards them to a telephone pole, put my back to it, and then brown slush flew past me. Oh, my God. Again. Did it get your shoulders? And then number three. Yeah, it might have got my shoulders. I'm broader than a telephone pole. And then I looked down, and on the ground was just like everything was brown 
slush now where it had been pristine white, oh. except for where the pole had blocked it <laughs> and me That's behind it. Thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows what uh what I would have been covered in, um otherwise. You should see ice. It moves like it has a mind, like it knows it killed the world once. It got a taste for murder. As much as I could uh, wax wistful about snow, and uh, I never lost any fingers or toes, I was never in an avalanche. Yeah, that's the thing is, there are pictures of snowy mountains on calendars, you know, there's beautiful imagery and we can associated with snow. see snow from L.A., by the way. Mm-hmm. It's just on the San Gabriel Mountains. That's right. Miles and miles away and yeah. miles and miles up. Right. And it's beautiful. But just like any other, like, element of Mother Nature, it can turn, depending on your situation, yeah. snow can be very unfriendly. And it sort of, like, purifies the landscape. And then you can mess it up. Mm, that's right. You know what looks really good on snow? Sprays of blood? Yes. Okay. So, hey, folks, we're going to be talking, are talking about snow here on this episode of Boys and Ghouls. Because it's winter. Yeah. Even in L.A. Somewhere. I mean, it's a little bit colder here. It's what we call winter. It gets into the 40s overnight. It can get kind of raw, especially when yeah. it rains. Yeah. What are they? They're like vampires. <laughs> Vampires don't exist. They're common. Who are they? 80 Days of Night, rated R. So, the first of our uh, selections is 30 Days of Night. A movie that I had to turn off before bed because I was afraid I might have nightmares. Had you seen it before? No. Me neither. And I had always wanted to. And I remember hearing about the plot, and I was like, that's such a good premise for a movie. And I never saw it until a few days ago. The premise, I'd seen it once before, actually, in a movie. I'll get into that. But the premise is, let's say you're a vampire, and you have to be back in your coffin by sunrise. Why don't you go uh, way, way up north to one of those isolated towns that experiences night for 30 days in a row? Well, as we know, it's a comic book first, and if you reach mm -hmm. behind you, you can see the... Uh... Hey, look at this. Oh, cool. Hey, it's signed. Yeah, it's from the public library, too. They got a signed copy by the writer and the artist. You want to give their names off the front? Oh, yes. Steve Niles is the writer, and Ben Templesmith. Yeah, is the artist, and what art? Look at that. There's teeth. I remember watching a few videos where they where they were of the opinion that 30 Days of Night, when the movie came out, it was sort of finally a reframing of vampires that made them really scary. As straight up monsters. Mm -hmm. No way out of town. No one to come help. You can feel it. That cold ain't the weather. That's death approaching. So, yeah, they take on the town of Barrow, Alaska, which is a real place. And it's up to a few survivors, including, uh, in the comic book, the town sheriff and his wife, who is, like, a deputy. Mm. They're and both cops. They're both cops, mm -hmm. and they're both happily married. And they, you know, see each other through as best they can. But in the movie, they're separated, 
and they make her into a fire, a fire marshal mm-hmm. who behaves just like a cop. Yeah. She's like quick with the gun. Yeah. You know, the fire marshal gun like they have. Well, he does ask her. He's like, they let you carry that? And she's like, you know, funny thing. I never thought to ask. Yeah, it's true. She does whatever she wants. The movie was produced by um, Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert. They weren't the director of it. The director had previously done Hard Candy. Although Sam Raimi did consider directing it for a Thought time. about it. He was really into the Because they just started like, like a production company. And then they're like, well, we thought about Alaska. And then we uh, settled on New Zealand. It's like, oh, did you? Yeah. Did you guys settle on New Zealand? Because everything they do, that seems to be like their best uh, decision. Even the uh, Evil Dead TV show is New Zealand. Everything they do is uh, find themselves back in New Zealand. They've been doing it since Hercules in like 90, like 96. Right on. New Zealand, that's where they, uh, that's where they made Lord of the Rings. They had a making of on the DVD, and then we both watched some makings of And I don't know if this word popped out at you like it did for me, which is part of it was filmed at a snow farm. No. And they, like, showed the snow farm, and they had a sign that said, snow farm. Uh-huh. And the parts that were filmed on the snow farm was, like, the car chase scenes. Like, when they first see the vampires invading kind of on the horizon, mm-hmm. and they're like, drive, just drive! Yeah. That was at the snow farm, which, I mean, I just went to Wikipedia. Which says, and I, I'm not positive if this is what that was, because it didn't quite look like it to me. But this definition says a snow farm is what they call where they dump all the snow after they've cleared the streets in a city. Whoa. Like and a landfill. For snow. For snow. Which, in Philadelphia, where I'm from, on those big blizzard days, they would take it to the side of a bridge and dump it into the river. And but since most towns are built along this rivers, is something I've never thought about needing to do. Where's all the snow go? Yeah. Yeah, you know that the plows pick up and stuff. Yeah. But, but it's just too much for like street corners. They would designate a snow farm. Now it's possible that a snow farm in New Zealand is a place just for filming, where they get a lot of snow annually, and then they'll just leave it pristine for you. That's what my original thought was because that seemed to be the function it served. Mm-hmm. Though I'm not sure if that's really a good business model there. <laughs> You can really only do it once, perhaps. So perhaps it was a snow farm in the traditional sense, that this yeah. is just where all of, like, It's just the designated Wellington, spot where the, the snow is going to go. Where, where the snow gets put. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, going to be lots of snow for me to shovel tomorrow. Not in the comic, but it was added for the movie, uh, a further explanation as to how the vampires got there in the first place, which is with a ghost ship. And that was one of the digital effects. Oh. You know, it shows um, Ben Foster. Totally. Who is great and was really on a good run of movies at that time. He plays the stranger, which is their sort of like liaison, a familiar. Yeah. Or a Renfield. I call him a familiar. Who comes to town to sort of prep things by stealing everyone's cell phone. And and burning the dogs. A lot of dog deaths. And if that's a turn off, just know that's going to happen. I hate it. But it introduces him looking back at this like big cargo ship perhaps and it's just like this dead dark hulk in the water yeah it's like a whole nother movie just ended (laughs) and now this movie's about to begin like whatever happened on that ship was its own horror movie right but as far as uh dark blood on white snow Mm. i hadn't seen this film but i had seen one scene from it and that is one of the best scenes from it Similar to one of the opening scenes in the Dawn of the Dead remake, when they're just sort of like up in the air, just sort of traveling along the town and you see the chaos. 
and you can't even tell who's a vampire. Yeah. You can't tell who's a vampire and who's a victim because everyone's just running all around. And you might be able to pick out like a couple of scenarios, but really it's just a melee. And dark blood on white snow. Mm-hmm. My gosh. Mm-hmm. Since this episode we're doing is about snow, it's important to, I think, give kudos to this movie for setting such a scene of like isolation. You understand yeah. the element of not only the nighttime, but even when there is daylight, it's still dangerous territory. You'll freeze to death if you're not inside with heat. And Josh Hartnett's character, when they realize like what they're up against, he's like, we live here because we can. Because like, we're we, the only people who we're can. We're the only people who can. We are a hardy bunch of people. And we know I think, the cold. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the snow and the isolation is such a character in this movie. And when they when they're on the move, when they leave like the attic that they've been in and get to like the general store for supplies, they do it during the blizzard. Yeah, yeah, they call it like a whiteout. Yeah. So in that way, the the blizzardy um, snow it acts as cover. And the snow I mean, was a lot of things. I wrote down an Epsom salt. I think they use some kind of like polystyrene, mm. like spray. Sure. They would lay down snow, just like blankets of white, like physical blankets of white to look like snow, and then cover that up with. Other materials. Potato starch, hmm. when it's falling, mm-hmm. seemed to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, just soap bubbles. I think that they use soap flakes slash soap bubbles at the Grove when they make it snow. Yeah, I think like Disneyland. Mm, probably. When they're like, it's snowing. Mm-hmm. Soap. It's <laughs> yeah. snowing soap. Yeah. You don't have any snow at your house. Just use 20 pounds of coconut shavings. <laughs> a lot of the vampires uh, had to wear these contact lenses to make their eyes like black pools of death mm-hmm. and you could get epsom salt like under one of those contact lenses Oof. and it could get pretty bad Ouch. and uh who, who's the leading lady the wife melissa george melissa george she said in uh i think it was the commentary she said that like pretty late in the game she reads on one of the packages for the stuff that says uh, do not touch ingest or breathe oh boy and they've just been living in this stuff for a couple of months yeah so uh thank you cast and crew of 30 days of night for uh Braving it all to give us a, a quality uh, horror film. And I want to uh, turn some attention to Danny Houston. Oh, my goodness. He was like the head vampire. <laughs> he was in, I don't know if he's been in more than one American Horror Story, but he was in Coven as the Axeman. That's right. The saxophone playing yes, ghost. That's right. And he was potent enough in just the advertisements for 30 Days of Night from 2007. I just remember those ads of uh, someone saying like, oh, God. And he just goes, God? And he like looks around. He goes, no, God. Yeah. Turns out that's like his only lines in English. The rest is like this made totally. up language that they gave the vampires. But like, holy smokes. It's such a tough balance to strike with that fake language and... And being taken seriously. Yes, yes. And he brings such, like, a gravitas to it. He's very scary. All the vampires are. Their face yeah. is just spattered and smeared with blood. At and one point, awful teeth. he even put some in his, in his hair. Yeah. I feel like because he could. Sure. Because this scenario is not typical for vampires. This is this, like, rare opportunity they're all just enjoying. 
Yeah, they've never had a chance like this in their lives. In the comic, I think one of them even goes like, man, we should have thought of this years ago. I think it must be said that this movie's sound design is so upsetting that I think it was just so jarring that I, I was watching it with headphones in on my phone, like lying in yeah. bed, and I oh, had to turn it off. Some of that was... Tasmanian devil yes, sounds. Yes, the screeching. So the vampires make this like this awful, awful sound. Yeah. And yeah, they layered in the sounds of Tasmanian devils and it's so jarring. And especially towards the beginning of the film, there's a lot of like really sudden sonic jump scares, like noises that come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, this, it really was putting me on edge. And I was like, I need to turn this off and like watch a cartoon and then go to bed. And the, I can't even remember the last time that happened to me, but there was something about it that I was like, it was just, and the, the vampire language was freaking me out. Like, it just, I don't know. It just got to me. And right. I felt like, I felt like I might have nightmares. I didn't, thank goodness. But I was like, I'm going to turn this off for now and come back to it. So I did. I'm sorry. It's actually really good to see you, Stan. Good to see me? Why aren't you in Alaska? I'm not ready to talk about it just now. James, I want to... Treading the same premise previously was jugular wine, colon, a vampire odyssey. From, jugular wine? From 1994. Oh, my God. Which I watched because it said Henry Rollins was in it as himself. And I was like, is this going to be like when Peter Falk played himself in, like, Wings of Desire? Hey, not a word of this to anyone. Frank Miller and Stan Lee are also in it. And it is kind of all over the place, and it's trippy and not really satisfying. But a real central part of it is, like, a vampire, or more than one vampire, goes to Alaska. Wow. And I think they actually, like, filmed, like, some in Alaska. Like, it's really, like, a small indie film with large ambitions, I guess, that did beat them to the punch of, it's nighttime all the time. Wouldn't that be great for a vampire? Right. Yeah, but in those same areas, isn't it also daytime all the time for part of the year? Yep. So you watch your back. Sounds like a good idea at first, and then you get stuck. Get out of there. One cold night, science and evil collide. Oh, yeah. Now, a serial killer is on the loose. This is a disaster. Look, I just saw something that doesn't belong in this world, and it's out there killing my friends. Now tell me what it is. Jack Frost. And he's giving cold-blooded a whole new meaning. There are two Jack Frost movies. Yeah. And actually, um, the one that we watched from 97 got a sequel. Oh, sure. A Jack Frost 2. I, is it weird? I'm kind of curious. I, I watched the beginning. We, might, we can get I into that. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack Frost, the horror film, was filmed first and released first before the family film Jack Frost with uh, Michael Keaton. You don't understand, Mom. Dad's the snowman. But the first one they made was the horror one. I remember this cover it from was, the video store. It was one of those reflective, what, what do you call it? Like. Oh, sure. Reflective That's hologram. That's right, it was. It would change from like a, a nice looking snowman into a very vicious, evil looking snowman. it was like that. Yeah. That they never actually do in the movie. No, nor does he never his looks face like that. ever look like that in the movie. Lord. World's most pissed off snow cone. You can just call this one of those sort of alchemy movies. Like they didn't set out to make it 
like it came out and if they did they wouldn't have done it right mm. you know like those sort of so bad it's good kind of movies if you set out to make a bad film that it'll never be sure good yeah, in that I, way I see your point in yeah. that sort of birdemic way mm-hmm. in that sort of the room way yeah i think jack frost sort of falls into that they started out like the writer director with a straightforward horror film mm. then couldn't get the budget they wanted so they're like all right pare it down pare it down and then when they got a look at what the snowman was going to look like the actual jack frost snowman um oh god according to an interview they were like let's make it a far more comedic that's really smart. Because that's what we're dealing that's with. That's really smart to pivot like that. And I personally feel like, I mean, it's kind of garbage, but there are some moments in it that made me laugh out loud. Matthew and I watched this together, and we had a good time. Yeah, watch it with somebody else. It has, I watched it with yeah. Sumo It's winking at itself and at you enough that you're like, okay, they know what movie they're making. I'll keep you warm in December. Unfortunately, as they were trying to make it, one of the um, less happy accidents, they filmed it up in Big Bear. So it was was in the L.A. area, but it was in the L.A. area that's supposed to have snow. Mm. Not that year. It's like White Christmas. This is supposed to be America's winter playground. Where's all the snow? Exactly. We haven't had snow since Thanksgiving. 68 today. They would get degrees up in the 80s because of the Santa Ana winds. Oh, God. Which is why they would be like, hey, it's a snowman building contest and just bare pavement. Oof. And then there'd be people kind of working in snow. And those snowmen were like clearly fake. And oh, like yeah. They're made of like... Feathery? Yeah. Uh-huh. I want to say. And they're like molding it. It's like, that's plastic something or another. Yeah. Yeah. And then all these shots that are supposed to be in the snow are just like angled up so you can't see that there's nothing on the ground. <laughs> And the town is called Snowmanton. Mm-hmm. And they're like supposed to be up in the Rockies? Yeah. Yeah. If it could be so, then you'd keep me so warm in December. I do think it's really important that we backtrack here and uh, one of us has simply got to describe the plot of this movie. The Killer premise. snowman. Killer, Killer snowman. mutant but snowman. But how does he get that way? He's being transported. He's a serial killer uh-huh. being transported to get executed. And his truck in a giant snowstorm collides with a science truck science containing truck. genetic material. Yeah. Which is a blanket term. And then it all gets fluffled up together with the snow and suddenly you have a killer snowman. That's so deliriously, delightfully convoluted. Like, the fact that it's just genetic material, and I'm doing air quotes right now, is... Which is, like, hooked up to, like, a hose system. Oh, it's outrageous. Oh, it's so steeply stupid, and I love it. He, like has it out for the sheriff hey, of Snowminton. we're driving through Snowminton there, Jack Frost. Actual name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Is, yeah, I'm sorry. The serial killer's actual name is Jack Frost. Yeah. Isn't this where you got arrested? Because, like, that's where he got arrested by the local sheriff, thus ending his reign of murders. That's right. And now he's sworn revenge on the sheriff and all of the town. And he sort of starts with one family. Ah! First, he kills, like, the son of the family. Mm-hmm. 
Then he kills the mom and dad, and then he goes after the daughter, who was... Shannon Elizabeth. Shannon American Pie Elizabeth. Nice to know you. But at the time, this movie got filmed like 93, 94, but didn't come out until 97. Mm. And her name is different from the closing credits to the opening credits. Yeah. Shannon Elizabeth Rab. Yeah, there, there was something, an addendum are, to the name, yeah. But the opening credits, which are kind of charming. Oh, yes. Yeah, very creative. As it goes from, like, ornament to ornament, and each ornament has a different actor's or crew member's name yeah. on it. Meanwhile, there's, like, voiceover happening that's telling you. Like, you know, Jack Frost was so evil, he ba 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 Yeah, it's cute. So in that one, she's just Shannon Elizabeth. So between, yeah. like, over the long time that it took for this movie to actually come out, she'd uh, changed her stage Chopped name. Chopped off the last name. Killed in the shower. My God, what a scene. What Matthew pointed out that I thought was uh, it, really delightful when you think about it is he's like, I just think about her. She's doing all that work. The actress. She's, right. No one's in the snowsuit. She's oh, probably not. slamming herself up against the... <laughs> while, screaming and While probably herself. keeping the, this big fake snowman from falling over. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Bless her. But honestly, like, I have no doubt, and I think I read that she... Was it super, she's not super thrilled about this, you know, being in this movie. Yeah. But I kind of feel like after I watched the whole thing, I was like, no, this is campy and fun and stupid. Like, I think time can help with that kind of thing. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, hope it was good for you, honey. So from the director, he says on the first take, the carrot is still like in the the nose position. Smacked her in the eye. Oh. So they took out the carrot. But then once the carrot was gone, everyone's like, where's the carrot? To the point that that's, I think it's in the closing credits. They'll like put in these like odd phrases from time to time. And one of them is like, where was the carrot in the shower scene or something like that. So they knew by the time the movie got released that the absence of a carrot nose translates to a carrot penis. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Just adding another layer to an already naked murder. I'll just say. One of the more creative deaths I've seen in what is basically a slasher film. And speaking of (laughs) the preamble to this, because it's always like, oh, they just find a way to take their clothes off. More than that, because their family was busy being murdered in another house, rather than get a third set, they just went back to the sheriff's house and had her go, hey, let's do it in the sheriff's house. Like, that's her kink. Yeah. And it's like... Hey, we've already got this set. We're already set up in here. Let's go to the same narrow kitchen that we've had five scenes in already. And also, she knows her brother's dead. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for her to be, like, frolicking around. Yeah. Doesn't look like it. Odd things in grief. Let's just say. Yeah. Like, go and break into sheriff's Yeah, they've broken into the sheriff's house, which is just And then she's like, as ridiculous as it was, then an actual joke that was intended... Is um, how many layers they have on. Oh, yeah. Because it is cold and snowy. Yeah, they're ready to get hot and bothered. Or they are hot and bothered getting ready to get busy. Yeah. And the two teenagers are just like... like... Coat, jacket, under jacket, vest, long johns. Yeah. And just layer after layer. And it keeps going to the point where it's like really funny. (laughs) Yeah. I think. I appreciated that joke. And then she's like, I'm going to go shower in a stranger's shower now. So I can get killed in a shower, basically. And does she? Don't see her boobs, though. No. Nope. I thought I nope. thought we would. You had to wait for American Pie for that. Oh my god. 
This is too much. Oh, you see. Oh, there, there that goes. Whoa. Oh, jeez. And it, it, it wraps up. You know what can kill a, a snowman? Antifreeze. <laughs> Turns out, you get enough antifreeze, you'll be all right. He comes back in the sequel, and to take care of their uh, no snow problem from before, this time they just said it in the tropics. Mm. They're like, forget it. No How snow. How does he materialize? I don't understand. Still, still a snowman. What? Yeah. How does he not melt? Is he magical? He's mutant. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, perk of part two, Doug Jones has a small part in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and not all made up either. Like, you know, in this, he's just a guy in like a life raft. I'm just being Doug Jones without a ton of makeup. Little Jack Frost, get lost, get lost. Little Jack Frost, get lost. You don't do a thing but put the bite on my toes. Freeze up the ground and take the bloom from the rose. So little Jack Frost, go away, go away. And don't you come back another day. Do you recommend it? You know what? I enjoyed it. I agree with your recommendation that you watch it with someone else. It wasn't... Know what you're getting into. It wasn't as mean as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, because some, sometimes these, like, down and dirty, low-budget movies, in place of good special effects, they're just kind of mean. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and crude. Yes. I could have used some more, even more, some of my favorite parts of the movie were his quips. Like, his little one more quips? Yeah, I could have used even more stupid jokes and puns from the snowman. But yeah, I agree. I think it felt more lighthearted than you could have maybe expected it to. When the various people fighting Jack Frost come after him with hair dryers is when I felt it sort of reached its best tone mm -hmm. as far as the movie that it wanted to be or was best at being. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I do recommend it with the caveat that, yeah, watch it with somebody else. Don't put a lot of pressure on it. There's also riff tracks for it. Oh, cool. And they really lean into the fact that there's just no snow <laughs> on the ground yeah. or anywhere else in uh, a movie all about snow. So little Jack Frost, get lost, get lost. Little Jack Frost, get lost. Cat. Yes? The abominable snowman of the Himalayas terrifying can i share a factoid with you please simply because alec and i are on a disney kick lately we sure. just got annual passes we haven't had them for a few years so we've been going to disneyland a lot all right and one of the rides that we haven't ridden a ton in our tenure as disney files uh -huh. is the matterhorn when did disneyland open and the, Disney Ma the matterhorn with it disneyland opened in 1955 the Matterhorn did not open until June of 1957, the same year and time as the monorail. And the same year, the abominable snowman of the Himalayas came out. Oh yeah, how about that? Marshall, did you know mm. that the abominable snowman that's featured in the Matterhorn, as you're riding the ride, has a name? Kind of like Bruce the Shark? Yeah, totally. Um, and it's an equally quotidian name. Okay, I'm gonna say Bob. Harold. Any reason? Nope. Okay. Someone named him Harold, and he wasn't added to the ride until 1978. So the ride existed oh. as the, the Matterhorn bobsleds for 20 years before 20, 21 years. Well, it's really more of an alpine ride. Yeah. And the Yeti 
or abominable snowman yeah. is a much more like Himalayan Asian right creature. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was commenting about that to Alec. We're standing in line, and the line for the Matterhorn is like, doo -doo 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 -doo. like it's yeah. very friendly, and the music is very silly. It's all very light. But we were talking about the contrast between that, and then you get on the ride, and the ride's super fun. But the parts with the Yeti, which which have been updated to like where he now he moves, it's a whole thing. They refurbished it. Mm. It's frightening. Like it's loud and scary. Is you go by him, and he's like. <laughs> Frightening. When it was built, 57, mm -hmm. and conceived, I'm sure, a few years earlier, um, back when we discussed mummies, you could sort of look at the unearthing of King Tut's tomb as kicking off a whole fascination with, like, the Egyptian aesthetic mm -hmm. and things Egyptian. It became very popular for several years and kind of led to the mummy being yeah. one of our uh, major universal monsters. There was a big surge in Yeti things after Sir Edmund Hillary climbed Mount Everest, scaled yep. Mount Everest for the first time. Yep. Welcome to the Himalayas! Yeah, the documentary I watched, or it was a TV program, it was a History Channel's In Search of History, and then they did an episode on the Abominable Snowman, and oh. they said that the Yeti came into Western consciousness in the 20th century, so the 1800s, when the first Europeans and Americans began to explore the remotest parts of the Himalayas. We, I figure it, we're somewhere in the Himalayas Mountains. That's pronounced Himalaya. It was lore in that area for yeah. quite a long time. Oh, sure, and then the Westerners came in. Yeah, and also the Westerners, big shocker, just kind of mucked up a lot of stuff. There was this really rich guy whose name I didn't write down who specifically spent a ton of money taking a bunch of people out to go search for the Yeti and yeah. tricked like a monk who had, they had this like foot or hand. Hand? And it was a hand, yeah, it was a hand. And he I... like took it, he asked him if he could take it and test it and the guy was like, no, we're not releasing this. So he like stole it, took a few bones from it, replaced them with something else, wrapped it back up, gave it back to him. And it's said, oh. he got it as far as India. The person... It's said that got it from India to America, Jimmy Stewart. What? It's on Wikipedia. They didn't say that in this documentary. What? Somebody like recovered some letters, some correspondence between Jimmy Stewart and like this guy. And it's believed that like he got it out of India. Wow. And like to the States. And they never said like where it went from there or why he would involve himself in such cockamamie nonsense. How interesting. This is a very interesting situation. Well, where it went from there, from the best I can tell, is they did test it. Everybody has different opinions. But there have been, I mean, there were, there were scientists on this program who said, you know, we don't have enough evidence to say anything. This, you know, we need evidence. And there were also scientists on the program who were like, I think there's enough evidence to say we don't know. There could be. And we found this bone or this hair and it's from a primate we haven't identified yet. So, you know. There could I, be something up there. I guess. Up in the Himalayas. Yeah. A Yeti or. I came away from that program being like, well, I don't know. So. Abominable snowmen or yetis in uh, popular culture, they'll crop up. Oh, the snow monster of the north strikes again. It's my nose. It keeps giving us away. Of course, there's the bumble from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. Which was very scary. Oh yeah. And I was very scared as a kid. 
Something that we talked about when it comes to um, TV specials airing once a year, but now they're just on DVD and streaming and, you know, you can watch them whenever you want to. Less special. Well, something about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is when he sets off on his own, like separate from Yukon Cornelius, he's going off on his own. You hear that abominable snowman call like in the background, just like, Roar! We will return to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer after these messages. If anybody loves trains, it's me, Johnny Cash. And then it cut to commercial. Oh. And you were just left to wonder, like, is, is he it, okay? Is everything going to be all right? And you had like five or six ads in there. This Christmas, get your boy a train that's built for the way young boys play. A big, rugged lioness. And you, you're, Pick up an electric shaver. He's going to come back from commercial and he's just going to be bloodied in the snow. Yeah. We now return to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But instead it comes back and it's like, a month later, yeah. you know, he's growing his horns. And yeah. it's like, oh, oh, thank God. <laughs> But that's where they, they, they would go to commercial and just leave yes. you hanging yes. is with that abominable snowman call. And it was uh, pretty frightening. Agreed. My ass, it really wasn't me. It was that thing in the, in the crate. <laughs> I don't even know what it was. An unexpected Yeti. What's, what's spoken of as a Yeti, if you read enough like message boards, I suppose, is the creature in the crate. From the first <gasps> creep show film. Oh, sure. Something else. Because it was from a an, lot as a child. Yeah, it's from an Arctic ex exploration. Yeah, right. It's yeah. a small yeti. It seems to have some of the features. If, if you look at like maybe it's an adolescent or a baby. Yeah. Child. What do we know about them? <laughs> well, they can exist in crates for long periods of time. Sure. They have long, long claw fingernail things. Yeah, you don't see it very much for very long. Mm -mm. But there's plenty of photos of, like, Tom Savini with Fluffy. And you're like, yeah, he does look like sort of like a stumpy Yeti, as we think of Yetis. Yeah. But, for our purposes here, the Yetis are quite large. In the Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas, 1957. A small band of men on a perilous search for the man-beast of Tibet. The abominable snowman of the Himalayas. You've heard of him, haven't you? The world's most shocking monster. No one's ever lived who's seen him. Be on your guard. He's coming to this theater. The abominable snowman dares you. We dare you. Dare you to see the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. Coming out, basically in the height of Yeti fever of the 1950s, uh, Peter Cushing stars. He does, a, of course, a very good job. Yeah. It's a, it's a hammer horror film. He's a learned man mm -hmm. who, previous to the movie, had already had a Yeti obsession. Like, he'd never seen one before. Right. But he had a fascination. He goes into this with a fascination. And we learn that his wife is very glad that he seems to be past that. And now they're in this the remote... Monastery, monastery. Like a Buddhist monastery. Yeah, in the Himalayas. He's there as like a botanist. He's there to study the plants. Warning. Only those with stout nerves and strong hearts should risk seeing the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. The movie was originally made for TV movie, a teleplay. Yes. That Peter Cushing was also in, and it was written by the guy who had done the, the Quartermass films. So Hammer was like, 
why don't we take that Yeti made-for-TV movie, which I wonder if it even exists, because mm. it was broadcast live. So much that got broadcast live, like, didn't get preserved. It's just gone. It was like, good job, everyone. On to the next film. <laughs> so they bought the teleplay, and they had him turn it into, like, a feature screenplay. And oh, I kind of wish I could see what live television Himalayas looked like, you know? Yeah. You could see the, the snow being thrown at them by a stagehand off yeah. of stage. Sure. But the story was basically the same, you know, a doctor and uh, more of like a sportsman, more of a game hunter kind of guy. Well, and when they made this movie, each they other were on. actually on location, so you get a lot of like incredible. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that snowy ambiance. The that's French like really Pyrenees, mm-hmm. these great vistas, and you just see like three or four, however many characters were in play at the time, just sort of like trudging along. Uh, those were all body doubles. None of them were like Peter Cushing or the American actor that they replaced the British actor with for the movie, you know, for American audiences. <laughs> As they march along, black dots on white snow. Yeah. Sounds really simple. Epic shots. But those are some great shots. Yeah. Um, again, those were the Pyrenees. And while there was helicopter shots, so helicopter shots were pretty new. I think yeah. people were still being like really dazzled. By helicopter shots yeah. over impressive terrain. But a lot of what we saw when it came to those like really impressive shots of mountainsides and snow mm-hmm. was from the cable cars hmm. that they had set up to, you know, to go from mountain to mountain. Nice. And if a horror movie with cable cars is your thing, check out The Crawling Eye. It strikes without warning, wreaking death and destruction too horrible to behold. There are many more movies with snow in it than just the ones we're covering uh, here, that among them. But so you mentioned that an American shows up and he's like, we're going to find this Yeti. And Peter Cushing's wife is like, don't you dare. But of course, he can't resist. He can't resist. He's got Yeti fever. He does. Then there's, there's the wise old llama. Yes. Who, like, like, they bring him, like, a Yeti tooth, and he's like, ah, this is ancient, but it was just a carving of a Yeti tooth. Yetis aren't real. Right. He's very practical about it. He gives him, like, a speech about how man is more apt to destroy themselves, even as they go hunting a great beast. Mm-hmm. Look, how do you see it? I mean, it walks on two legs. There's no doubt about that. The tracks prove it. They show a foot 13 inches long and very wide indeed. The stride of a six-foot man... Yet its legs would be far more massive and very short in proportion to its height. Now, you, you see what that implies. It's big. The twist, I guess, if you're just expecting more straightforward man-monster. This is what made the movie for me. Yeah. Is what you're talking about. Yeah, the um, the writer, he's no slouch. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie... Um, Nigel... I'm going to say Nigel Neal. I think the K is silent. If you haven't seen this movie, I really recommend seeing it. And if you don't want to know kind of like where it goes then maybe fast forward a little from here or something because we're going to talk about in three two one psychic yetis so freaking cool the yetis never actually physically kill anybody no they like make they get your head noises and then make you walk off a mountain yeah and at first you think crazy they're only able to like project their own sort of yeti sounds like yeah But then they start hearing, like, broken radios playing, saying, like, return to base. Leave all of your equipment and and return to base. only one actor will hear, only one character hears that. Yeah, he's like, what are you talking about? The radio's busted. 
And he's like, I tell you, I tell you, he's alive. Or, or like, like someone who's like died. Yeah. And he's like, he's alive. Can't you hear him? He's out there in the snow. He needs our help. And that person just like wanders out and like dies in an avalanche. I mean, do you really think about that too much? I, I, I'm going to have nightmares. It posits. It's so creepy. Instead of just being some like snow ape, it gives the theory that what if these are like, like an offshoot of evolution who are now maybe just waiting for man to sort of run their course Mm -hmm. and then they'll come out of the mountains like you know in a million years or a hundred years or 10 years with the h-bomb my god and rather than we've all killed ourselves rather than being so primitive they are yeah in many ways far more advanced than we are and i love the way i mean we get like a couple shots of anything resembling the Yeti, and it's the like first is just like that their arm. nose. Yeah, you get oh, that was that terrifying. arm comes into the tent Ooh. and just starts feeling around. Ooh. I said out, I watched that and I said out loud, oh, oh no. <laughs> um, but, to a black and white film from '57. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. It, it really did it for me. And then later you see like maybe their nose up. You know, in the yeah. eyes, and that's kind of it. So they and really just sort of a lumbering form, but it's mostly in shadow. Yeah, the trailers from hell clip that you sent me with Joe Dante. Yeah, he was talking about how the trailer for this movie really gives you an inaccurate idea of what type of movie you're getting into because it's or, very or is salacious. it just saving the twist? Maybe I, th- I mean that's a very generous viewing of it, but I see his point that the trailer it kind of makes it seem pulpy and silly when really I think the movie is a lot smarter than that. Yeah, I went into it expecting something a lot cheesier. You know, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to see, you know, actors in stupid hairy suits. And as it turned out, yeah. like, there was a lot more like deep psychological horror than I expected. The one Very guy cool. dies of a heart attack. Yeah. He fired off his gun, but he was given dummy bullets, cause, and now it's like, who can you trust? You're all isolated up there, and the people start turning on each other. And if that's not a microcosm for the Yetis, just sitting back and waiting. Let man destroy themselves, and then we'll just come down and... It's like the monsters are due on Maple Street. Yeah. They'll kill each other, and then we'll go hang out on the beach. Mm-hmm. And then go to the end end. Cushing's right. His wife grabs a bunch of Sherpas and goes after him. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. She's no shrinking violet. And finds him like half frozen. Gets him back to the monastery. The monastery was a set. You know, all all these were sets. Even the outdoor stuff were sets. Well, they weren't in the Pyrenees anyways. And the monastery sets would later go uh, on to be used in Christopher Lee Fu Manchu films. And they did bring in like local Buddhists to help organize like the chants. Because the extras they were using weren't holy men. They were uh, waiters from various London Chinese restaurants. <laughs> oh, gosh. Which, I'd like to know what those conversations were like. <laughs> Did they just order a bunch of takeout to be delivered, and they just showed up and said, like, hey, how'd you like to be in the movies? Oh, my God. But Cushing goes back, and he's having, like, a conversation with the Lama. And he's like, and so, what have you discovered? And he said, I've discovered there is no Yeti. And he's like, that's right. There is no Yeti. And he had to go out and experience him himself. And the only way to get out is to know to not mess with them. Well, 
Now, and, and, and to not invite others to go looking for them. So the way I interpreted it was that they put the funk on his brain so that he wouldn't remember them at all. Oh, what a twist. But maybe, you, maybe you're right, in which case that's even creepier. What if interpretation. He has to keep, if he has to, with his own knowledge and remembering it, for the good of mankind, keep, the keep them out of the mountains. Right, like he's gotten what he Let always the, wanted. Which was to know for sure, Personal but now proof. he can't like talk to anyone. He won't it. be the the toast of the academic world, right? They even they had a yeti corpse at one point. They're yeah. like, "This is enough," and like, "No, no, we need a live yeti to make the people believe." Because the American was a bit of a huckster, and he wanted to like come back with like the real deal this time. For sure. Yeah. So yours is that they put the whammy on, and mine was just that he like realized that it's best to just say, "Nah, it right. doesn't exist." Right. Take my word for it. I think either is valid. And both are kind of creepy. Totally. Yeah, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed this movie. All right, good pickings. Yeah. The Abominable Snowman yeah. of the Himalayas. 1957. 1957. <laughs> right. It's the most magical time of the year. When traditions are honored. And the youngest among us still believe in the spirit of the season. Cat. Yes. Rare Exports, colon, A Christmas Tale. A movie that I had been wanting to see and had been on my mental list ever since it came out. And I didn't watch it until just now. Okay. Shame on me. What about you? Same, but please remember that there's only a window of time when you'd really want to watch this movie, which is Christmassy time. Yeah. And this one leans more into Christmas. Jack Frost, by the way, takes place around Christmas, mm -hmm. and you get in like a murder with ornaments. With the ornaments. Christmas tree ornaments. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff. So it's not just winter. It's Christmas specifically. Right. And Rare Exports, set in the land of ice and snow. I think it's set in Finland, but filmed in Norway. Yeah, I think that's right. But they are out there. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. And he doesn't give up. You sent me two short films that preceded the feature, which I'm glad you want to go did. there first. Yeah, why not? Okay. Well, all of this started as a short film. One of the credits were like inspired by the such and such brothers. It says based on an original idea by the Halandar brothers. So whoever they are, cook this up. And then the, uh, the writer director grabbed it and ran with it. Just before the first snow of winter falls, they begin their work. Professional hunters with astonishing skills. But first creating what looks like a documentary mm -hmm. for like reindeer hunting or just hunting in general. Mm -hmm. It's like these three men who learn from their fathers are the best of the best and they go out into the wilderness and they're hunting and you're a few minutes into this fairly short film when you realize what they're hunting is feral Father Christmases. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like a naked bearded man yeah. out in nature. A naked bearded old man. Yeah. And you're like, oh, they just showed me enough so I know he's naked. Then they won't show me anymore. And then they do. And then they do. <laughs> I've seen a lot of old penises. 
uh, in the last few days. I'd like to say, if you're making a short film, there's the Russ Meyer quote, where he said, breasts are the cheapest special effect. <laughs> I will add um, old naked guys in the cold. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's like production value. It totally is, because it, it is... For the it short really and the film. you into... You're like, whoa, yeah, this like story this is took, real. This took a turn. Like, I was expecting a bear, and yes. instead I get this guy. And yeah. then they're like, this Father Christmas... Which is a lot better. I'm more on board with it, even though I knew where it was going, than if they just had a guy in a Santa suit that they were hunting. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course, yeah. Father Christmases are considered to be the most precious, free-roaming wild beasts of the whole of the northern wilderness. That would have been like, oh, haha. Right. But doing it the way they did, and they like hit him with a few tranquilizers, yeah. and they talk about how very dangerous he is. And it's still funny. Yeah. But it's got a darker because... edge. It's more black humor than just ha-ha, which it would have been if he had had on the suit from the beginning. It's funny for the same reason I found the film actually scary mm -hmm. in enough parts. Because it takes itself real seriously. Yeah. It has a respect for yeah. itself. Yeah. And then from there... They take the Father Christmas back to some, like, warehouse and then, like, teach him through negative reinforcement, because they kind of wail on this guy, to not eat children. Yeah. Because they'll, they'll put this, like, dummy child in his lap and he'll be like, argh, argh, and he's, like, biting his head <laughs> and like, no, try it again. And until he's basically like a Father Christmas, like at a shopping mall where, like, a kid will sit on his lap. We deliver the impeccable, well-mannered, and extremely rare original Finnish Father Christmases to nearly 150 countries every Christmas. Why not just hire and train human old men who don't have an innate desire to eat children? But whatever. Yeah, exactly. This is where they come from. Yeah. In the olden days, people used to store ice by encasing it in sawdust. Yeah, but what do you mean? What are you trying to say? This mountain is like a giant icebox. For storing what? Drill deep. And you will see. Well, I am. They're drilling as we speak. This movie starts with like a dig into a mountain. You're talking about the feature film. The feature film. Rare Exports, colon, A Christmas Tale. Yeah. Make sure everyone has one of these. Well, what are these? It's the new safety instructions. Wash behind the ears. This is funny shit. So Watch your mouth. It's Christmas time. So let's act like it. The old man who who knows where his knowledge comes from, but he seems to have all the answers. Yeah. He also seems kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge. Right? Also, I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be American. Yeah. Because who else? Yeah. Who could you believe as an audience member would try to excavate a Santa monster's grave, which is really what he's, he's... Apparently, hundreds of years ago, this old Santa got trapped in ice, and they built a mountain around him to keep him from ever escaping again. Yep. And this guy's like, dig him up! I'm American! Shh. Put down your weapons and smile as nice as you can. Move slowly and do exactly as I say. He gives him this laminated card that I wish 
I could see all of. <laughs> because it's like any other safety instruction card, but they've got little symbols for like a bottle with an X through it or something like no drinking, no smoking, no cursing. And I'd love to not only see the completed list, but see what each one's icon was. Yeah. You know, what's no cursing look like? Yeah. That was an element I really liked and about it was the rules, which are very Christmassy. Yes. God damn it. Santa is going to find out who is naughty or nice. Of course, things get out of hand, and there's a village nearby where they're reindeer hunters. You know, that's sort of like the money they make for the year, is like by capturing and selling you know, reindeer meat. And all the reindeer have been killed by something that came out of the mountain. And what an image. Dead a reindeer? A bunch of dead, slaughtered, bloody reindeer. At least we didn't snow. see them getting killed. Totally. Which is, a, I guess you might say, a leg up from a 30 Days of Night, if yeah. that's a real turnoff for you. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but dead what reindeer. an image in a Christmas tale. You yes. Know, we're getting, I mean, if we're talking about the stuff, the ish, the stuff of Christmas... Reindeer, reindeer are a huge part of it. To, so to see them, the way we see the reindeer in this movie is slaughtered, dead in the snow, blood everywhere. It's pretty upsetting. Yeah, and upset by this, by the way. You know, they're no fans of just slaughtered reindeer. Yeah. They go to confront the Americans and like, oh, everybody's gone. That's weird. And it goes from there. Santa's on the loose in their town. Like I was saying, it takes itself seriously enough that I was like, there's a scene where like strange things are happening. Kids are going missing. They go to a potato farmer's barn and... His potatoes haven't been taken. Just the sacks. Just the sacks that the potatoes And were representative of that is just this room that's like ankle deep in potatoes. Mm -hmm. Which I found very frightening because I knew every 40 potatoes represented another sack. And every sack represented another child mm -hmm. that would be taken. So when they showed that shot of all the potatoes... I was like, ah, ah, look at all those potatoes. Yeah. I just did the math. Oh, the children. And speaking of the children, it's something we haven't really mentioned yet, which is wonderful about this movie, is that the star. one of the main characters, and yeah, maybe the main character, is a kid. And how appropriate for a Christmas movie. He's, He's researching the one running around, books. researching, telling people, kids are missing. No one's believing him. Because he looks up all the old Father Christmas wood carvings that we kind of got into in our Krampus episode. Yeah. Of like... All the different versions of like that region Santa Claus, which and by is the way, a real we, birthplace of the Santa. Yes, Sinterklaas or whatever. Yeah. And you also get those drawings in the opening credits of the movie. And it's so yeah. creepy. So deeply scary. And there's horns. But you know the guy that they capture doesn't have horns. And you're like, oh, I guess they went a different direction. But uh, horns come later. That... It didn't occur to me. Like, that didn't oh. occur to me. So when it's revealed, when they're like, oh, yeah, this is a helper. These are elves. This is an elf. And there are a lot more That's elves. a pretty and big this reveal. this is not Santa Claus. I went, <gasps> like, I did not see that coming. Uh, nor I. Yeah. Yeah, everything was sort of heading one direction. Yeah. And the ending pretty much ends where the, uh, the short films begin, basically. Mm -hmm. Is they wind up with almost like 200 Father Christmases to sort of make up for their lost reindeer. And father and son are working together. So you get a, a quick bit of them being like trained to be a father Christmas and they stick him in the box again and they're like, Rare Exports, remember? That's the title. And I think we should take just a second to talk about what heart the movie has because the little boy 
and his dad like are without the mom and the wife. Yes. You know, that he's a widower, the kid doesn't have a mom, and they are The father's trying to keep things together. Yeah, and he makes the cookies the that she would have made on Christmas Eve. Yeah, and you can tell they're they're in pain. They're hurting and they're having trouble connecting, which is a nice element because you feel for the father and the son. And that moment when the kid, you know, he kind of takes control. He knows what to do. He's telling everybody. Mm-hmm. He's like, listen to me. It's pretty I'm outlandish by that point. This. Yeah. And he kind of decides he's going to sacrifice himself. And he doesn't end up, you know, dying. But it's like he felt he needed to prove something to his dad. Because the whole movie, his dad's like, no, you can't do this. You can't help with this. You stay there. You stay in the car. You yeah. Know, he's just trying to protect him. And he's like, but I'm And I'm it's, it's rough country. Like, his friend kid is, like, smoking. Yeah. And, yeah. like, walk. Well, they're all walking around with rifles just because it's rough country. Yeah. It's just wolves. So it is a bit of a coming-of-age thing as well. Yeah. And a father-son thing. Yeah. It's nice. And a Christmassy thing. And... Snow. And naked old men. Who leave just footprints. Not like shoe prints, but actual footprints. And for a while, when you see like the footprint in the snow, you're like, something left that and didn't seem to mind. Yeah. We didn't just follow the footprints indoors to where his shoes were. Yeah. Someone's out there like getting his job done with bare feet. In the snow. In the snow. It only added to the creepiness. Agreed. The ground is covered with wine. Santa's coming tonight. With dolls and toys for girls and boys and the merry ho ho ho. There'll be sleigh bells, reindeer, and snow. And the merry Christmas. Snow. Snow. It covers things up. It's a place to hide. It's a thing that can hurt you. In avalanches and just the fact that it's cold. It's this force of nature that makes for a damn good setting for a horror movie. And it is great to look at. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'd like to look at, as we go out, the ending of Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. What does Halloween Town get, the Halloween land, when Santa goes like, No hard feelings, monsters. I get it. Christmas is great. (laughs) You just overreacted. What does he do? For all these monsters who just wrecked Christmas, he makes it snow. He makes it snow in Halloween land, and they never, I mean, Jack got away and saw it and was like, what's this? What's this? Uh And all the creatures and ghouls of Halloween land got to, like, play in the snow and catch snowflakes on their tongue and just see what it looked like when their topography just got that nice layer of snow just kind of evening everything out and... Looking pretty nice. Merry Christmas, Santa's bringing a sled. Painted yellow and red. Mom and Dad are feeling glad because tonight they know there'll be sleigh bells, reindeer, and snow. So monsters enjoy snow. Monsters live in snow. And it's tied in with Christmas just in a, in a wonderful way that, like, because... You don't get a ton of snow off in the Holy Lands, you know, where all this started, at least the Christ part of Christmas. And even countries, say, like Australia, where the seasons are the reverse, Mm -hmm. the two are so intertwined, they'll put up, like, fake snow. Yeah. And be like, Christmas, hey! It's it's the hottest time of year for them. Yeah, it's it's their summer, but, like, if you go into, like, their department stores or something, it's just like, hey, snowmen! And, like, I mean, there's whole documentaries about this. I think it's because the British... Or just Charles Dickens, really. Mm. 
Yeah, that's did, probably why. Did Christmas so well, it just infused this part of the world's, you know, this hemisphere at least, the nature, the mm-hmm. snow part, the precipitation of yeah. this time of year with the lights and decorations and celebrations of Christmas time. Yeah. And forever uh, stuck them together. Oh, something I just completely skipped, but I want to bring up at some point, and since we're wrapping up, I'll just bring it up now. Uh, how the Grinch Stole Christmas, when they made a movie of it, they posit, because like, oh, they're Who's. Do they have their own Who Jesus? Mm, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're just like, where is all this place? Is, is it a Who planet? Right. So what they say, which I think is very enchanting, is that it all takes place in a single snowflake. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, like, like all these snowflakes are falling, and it just finds one. Yeah. And as we know, all snowflakes are different. That's right. So how many other worlds are there? Yeah, really. In snowflakes. So it like zooms in, zooms in, zooms in until you get to like mountains and stuff and the town of Whoville in this snowflake. Yeah. Bringing that back to horror for a moment, as you know, the original narrator for The Grinch was Boris Karloff. Yeah. So when Ron Howard made it, I'm guessing their thought process was, who can we get that's today's Boris Karloff? You know, who is a British gentleman, but is also super scary, you know, to the right people, depending who's like seen his movies. Do you remember who they got as a narrator? I don't think so. British gentleman, super scary. Anthony Hopkins. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like, well, who, who could possibly fill Karloff's shoes in the new millennium? Hannibal and Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. Huh. And what about the non-terrifying parts of him? What about the gentleman parts of him? Yeah. Which reminds me... He's really the Karloff for our generation. Do you follow him on social media? I think he's, he's on Twitter. Uh, no. He is, he is very charming. He, he like does all these videos of himself playing piano. It's crazy. That's yeah. just what you want. It's wonderful. It's a real gift. Now, speaking of gifts, a listener said, Hey, boys and ghouls, how would you like a couple free copies of my book that I wrote? Oh, that's right. From... Oh, I should have practiced this name. Well, it's called Peripheral Horrors, first of all. We've both got a copy. And Joseph, you want to take a crack at this one? Bertheon? Bertheon? I'm going to spell it for you listeners. B-E-R-T-H-I-A-U-M-E. And he wrote a book? Bertheum. And if, folks, you want to uh, see what a fellow Boys and Ghouls listener puts out, you can uh, check it out on Amazon. As someone who, along with you, puts out something creative every once in a while. I'm always so thrilled to see other people kind of making that happen. A tip of the hat to those who don't ask permission. Yeah. Just to, get to her, those get who just done. go and do it. Yeah. I love that. That's so exciting. I can't wait to read it. From podcasters to the self-publishing comic book people to the self-publishing short story writers. And I know a lot and, of our listeners have a lot of great stuff brewing in them. And you know what? I actually, um, I've got no real use for them in my life. But the lifestyle Instagram people, mm-hmm. what do you call them? Influencers? Influencers, mm-hmm. like, like the, the self-made influencers. I don't like being influenced, <laughs> I guess, via vacation photos uh-huh. or pictures of your food or, you know, whatever they get up to. But, boy, I admire their get up and go. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. no one asked them for their opinion. Yeah. No one hired them. Well, uh, sometimes. When they're big enough, everyone's asking and everyone's Once they get them. big enough. Uh-huh. But... They all sort of start at the same level with just like an Instagram account Unless and a dream. Unless they were already a celebrity. 
Okay. Yeah. They're really punching a lot of holes in my. I see. Uh, I see your point. In my goodwill yeah. towards influencers. I think the point is that anybody who has a dream in their heart, whether it's to write a book or have a social community, they have to put a lot of work into getting it done. And yeah. for a long time, for no real monetary For the last award. generations... Oh, 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 I see what you're saying there. Yeah. I'm saying for a long time previous to like today's level of social media. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd go into the modeling agency with your portfolio and they'd say, hit the bricks, sister. Yeah. But now you're like, well, I'm just going to make my own thing. Right. I can walk on a beach all by myself. Yeah. I and, can write uh, a book. I can collect all my short stories and uh, see who out there responds to it. Yeah. And I'm really hoping to... Uh, Get into this myself. Is it a compliment to say not too big? Because uh, Kat and I just exchanged Christmas presents. Yeah. And one of my... <laughs> I gave you a book. You gave me a book yeah. and I was like, thank you for not giving me too big of a book. Yeah, it wasn't too big. And neither is this. It, it's very snackable. It, it's nice in your hands. Like All right. That. So there you go. And, and thank you for uh, for thinking thank of us you, as, a, as someone who can uh, reach... Joe. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. As someone who can reach uh, like-minded people. Yeah. For sure. With peripheral horrors. And uh, if anybody else wants to send us something for free, just uh, <laughs> find us at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Boysandghouls at gmail.com. And uh, if you just want to see what we get up to in our own time or just spooky things that we find around the internet, there's a lot out there. It's the internet. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook or Pinterest, Tumblr, or Instagram as we will influence you. <laughs> I don't know what we would influence people to do, really, besides listen to more Boys and Ghouls, I guess. And uh, we'd also like to uh, ask you to, Cat. Uh, oh, real quick, before, uh, before the new year, I'm going to need all of you to beware the moon. May I also wish you and yours a most merry Christmas and a prosperous and a happy new year.